Hey everyone, and welcome to the Pisgah Podcast. We are your hosts, I'm Mangler, and that is Drew, and you are listening to Pisgah. We're coming to you live from inside an RV at a truck stop in Idaho. Wait, wait, where are we at? Yep, we are remote this week, or at least I am. Drew is holding down Pisgah Podcast Studios in the home zone, and I'm on a road trip out in the Pacific Northwest, making my way back eastward. Dude, you gotta get out of that western heat wave and come back here to where it's humid with us. So, um, what have we got for the news this week? Well, while I'm sitting in this RV sweating it out, uh, I've been catching up on the EWS race that happened this weekend. So, yeah, EWS is back, which I'm very psyched to see. Yeah, EWS at Val de Fassa. Um, our previous guest, Sean Neer, came in at 25th with his teammate, Richie Rude, taking the top step. Also of note, there were only two Americans in the top 50, and it was Richie and Sean. And, and the times were pretty tight, too, in the top five. It was. It was the only times that I saw, but uh, Jack Moore was on the tails of Richie coming into that. Uh, time-wise, I, you know, looking at how tight the times are, Dude, that's stuff that, like, one PSI in a tire makes a difference. Or, you know, like, being, like, an inch off to the left going into a berm or something. Times like that are just insane. Yeah, for sure. And it's a doubleheader event, too, so they'll be racing again at this spot again this weekend. And we'll see if uh, the tides turn for any of these people. I have to admit, I'm a little more psyched on EWS season starting over World Cup, but that's just me. Yeah, I like the format way better, but the logistics to broadcast it to the masses are multitudes harder than good old downhill or an XC circuit race. So for spectators, it's I, I wish that there was a little bit more done to uh, to present it to us for us to watch. But hey, we'll uh, we'll sit back on our computers and catch up on all the the websites on uh, the following days. But um, with that said, uh, we've got some new bikes that have dropped this week kind of, you know, enduro-based bikes. We got the Cannondale Jekyll and the Norco Range. And what's interesting about these bikes is they are both high pivots. Yep, we've seen high pivots on downhill bikes in the past. Now we're starting to see that technology trickle down into enduro bikes. You know, a while back on, I believe it was episode 110, I assigned you a homework project on the different styles of suspension, and you touched on a high pivot style with a rocker pulley. But at that time, I think there were only the downhill bikes offering that. Maybe the Norco Shore was out at that point. I can't remember. But now we've got a few bikes offering that style of suspension. So for those listening, kind of give us a quick rundown on what exactly a high pivot suspension is. Yeah, so you know, now that we're confidently in the post-front derailleur era, I believe that this is another thing that we're going to start seeing more and more. It makes a good suspension design even more efficient. Essentially, a high main pivot will do a few things. It gives you a better wheel path for square edge hits and traction. And uh, a high pivot does increase pedal feedback, though. So these new high pivot bikes also have idler wheels for the drivetrain to give to to kind of isolate the pedal impact from what's going on with your suspension. And you know the reason why we've mostly seen it in gravity bikes thus far is because there would be a lack of a front derailleur, and now. Uh, that those are gone and you know it's optimized a lot about what you can do with suspension and what gear ratio the suspension is active under leaves a lot of real estate for doing some neat and unique things there and adding an idler wheel is is one of those things right on so i've got some follow-up questions for you drew since you're kind of our suspension expert with the idler pulley and you know it does create more pedal kickback but adding that idler pulley helps it also adds a lot of chain, some extra chain links. Is this something that you need to like buy an extra chain for, or does usually your complete chain have a links to cover that? Uh, I've got very limited experience here, so I haven't got to measure out the chain on a lot of these. But I would be, I'd be willing to bet that a stock chain is going to come with plenty of link because of the amount that you would typically remove installing a brand new chain anyhow. Yeah, that's true. And usually chains are sold with with uh, a couple of lengths uh, or quantity of links available. So you can typically pick the one you need. Okay, cool. Do you think we're going to start seeing this 
trickled down to like even like shorter travel bikes such as you know like dropping onto a trail bike or even like you know what they're calling down country bikes now uh, I think so eventually. I think it does probably make most sense in a longer travel bike uh, because if you think about where the main pivot is and you draw a circle to where the axle is from that, uh, you're going to get, you know, kind of a rough estimation of what your wheel path is going to look like from that. Uh, with the shorter travel bikes, there's just not a, enough travel. The wheel's not moving enough to uh, have those extreme forward movements that uh some bikes will have so you know I, I think it does serve the long travel bikes the most but i don't see why it couldn't trickle down into shorter travel bikes okay awesome it's it's interesting to see like some new technology coming forward and especially kind of both dropping at the same time which is kind of interesting yeah but sure. um so drew who do you have for us on this week's interview so we have a true og we have uh, Malcolm Hadley, and for those that don't know him, I give a pretty decent introduction, but uh, he's he's been here for a long time. He's been invested in the mountain bike community uh, since the 90s, and he's just an over, overall interesting fella and a fun guy to know. Awesome. I'm looking forward to listening to this. So I have uh, Malcolm Hadley here, and uh, if you don't know him, uh, most people around here might, but if you don't, he was, he was racing BMX bikes before that was cool, <laughs> and uh, in North Carolina here was riding mountain bikes in western North Carolina before that was cool. I believe you opened a mountain bike-specific bike shop before those were a thing around here. Yeah, that was uh, 1989. We opened Carolina Fats, my wife and I. Yeah. After that, you were working for a component company making mountain bike parts before there was a bike industry here. Yeah, that was, uh, at the time it was Diacomp, which is now Cane Creek. Um, and they were a past sponsor of my BMX days in the 80s. So when we had the store, they were all basically like, if you ever want to come in-house, let us know. So sold the store and went to that side of the bicycle world. What else were you early to the table to? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Skateboarding with Rodney Mullen way back when. That's kind of cool. That's definitely cool. Um, he and I were teammates in uh, Inland Surf Shop days. Yeah, I mean, early going for us would be, I was working at Liberty, great folks. I just always had different ideas about how things, I wanted to see it. And uh, I was sitting there like, I want to do a mountain bike store, but I don't want to have uh kind of department store bikes or bikes that were low end and so we kind of like four hundred dollars was our lowest threshold and we went up from there so we had a had an interesting rule of thumb that anything that i could purchase my cost under 100 bucks that was in the back of the mountain bike action that was cool or deemed cool by some machinist you know making one-off goofy brakes or jockey mm -hmm. wheels or whatever We'd buy it. We didn't care if it sold. We just wanted to have it as a piece in the shop. Mm -hmm. So it made people, you know, oh, they got these in there. They got those in there. And, uh, you know, we had the first Rock Shocks and Manitou's, Scott Forks. Good Lord. We had all, you know, whoever made something, we were there to get it, you know, and, and have it on the floor or on display. Oddly enough, the store started in the, what was called the Kmart Plaza. And that's where Earth Fair, I'm not sorry, uh, Whole Foods is on Tunnel Road. Right. And we were essentially where there's an eyeglass place there. So we started there, and then we uh, got an opportunity to move it out towards Bent Creek, not the establishment where people know it today. It was down in the where the benchmark uh, auto lot was or mm -hmm. is. And you have to think back. I mean, this everything's back in the day, if you will. 191 was a two-lane road. It's not a four-lane as it gets to the parkway, you know. It was all two-lane, so we had a lot of frontage space uh, in the store out front. So we had the bikes, you know, all displayed outside, inside, on the roof. We did all kinds of crazy things. And then we could lead rides out of the shop. So we had, you know, rides all the time. My wife did rides. Um, a lot of new people came that way. Um, and legally, not legally, we had beer before anybody had beer. 
<laughs> we had a Coca-Cola ice chest cooler, you know, that slides the top. And we had all our Cokes and everything in there. False bottom, and that was beer. <laughs> and so this is 89, so it predates any of these other kids. But beer in those days, that was your Michelob, that was your Budweiser, <laughs> that, you know, but that we had it. So we had this cool little tribe. And, uh, we, you know, we just weren't afraid to try things. Um, we were the first guys to do Yeti, uh, maybe even on the East Coast. I don't know. I mean, this stuff was, there was no aluminum Yetis then or anything. Right. We did Fat Chance. They were a sponsor of mine when I was racing mountain bikes, so we had that. We had the crazy all-sop beam bike. Mm -hmm. I rode that for a while. That was damn scary. Um, <laughs> but it was a huge attention getter. You know, you just go to a race, and they're like, oh, there's that dude with that. I don't know what kind of bike it is, you know. <laughs> so we were real big on that. That was fun. Um, and, you know, we had Gervins. We were the first Bridgestone dealer. Um, you know, I think we had Mongoose. Um, light speed for a while and boulder bikes out of colorado like hand you know welded suspension that was terrible had a shock a damper in the uh top tube and actually had like a chain link moto chain link that connected it so when the rear swing arm went up it shoved the damping rod into the frame no rebound control whatsoever just you hit a bump and you hear this audible clack. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Ibis calls that traction tune these days. <laughs> Man, I mean, it was a wild, wild west, you know, and, and on the West Coast, I'm sure it was even crazier for him. But we were just trying to do things that, you know, uh, I don't know, got people in there and talking. You know, mm -hmm. I was I was real big on just, you know, let them. Let them talk. Let them see. Let them have. And, right. Uh, we did a lot. You know, we did a lot of T-shirts, a lot of merch, like merch back then. You know, people were coming to get our Carolina Fat socks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know. Make it where you can. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's it's one of those things you just you never know. And um, we sold the store. We had an op I had an opportunity. There's a few people interested, and I sold it to a friend of mine. And they moved it to where it is now, I think, across from discount shoes or whatever out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I stayed there for a little bit to help them out and then just went to King Creek and they wanted to revitalize BMX stuff. So we did BMX line at the time, King Creek owned Onza. So we did some, uh, changed the bar ends around. Uh, Dave Hensley, an awesome mountain biker, good friend. He and I, uh, redesigned some tires you know things like this um but it was kind of taking focus away from what cane creek needed to be you know mm -hmm. there's only so many people who can have working and you know here we are off on our little onza tangent you know and it uh you know oh we need this for cane creek so it's like you know eventually you kind of got to focus your efforts um but it was good it was fun i i was there 20 years i enjoyed it um last 10 were spent you know, basically, the double barrel was bequeathed to me to sell, mm -hmm. you know, get it out there, get get it going. So I was like, there with the guys building the first one, selling the first one, you know. And that was awesome. Until um, about the second, two and a half years in, then it was, uh, no lie, Malcolm Line won every 15 minutes on the all call, <laughs> all day. You know, and it was just like, I kind of remember that. It's like, holy crap, you know. And I kind of remember the, you'd have to call and be like, hey, I've got this uh, Turner 5 spot. I need a bass tune. Right, right. There was all that. And he had to have the conversation with you to know where to go with oh, it. Oh, my Lord. I even had some guys, and you'll find this interesting since, you know, where you work now at Fox. You know, the double barrel had so many uh, low-speed adjustments, clicks, right? You know, like 24. There was guys like... I need it to be between one and two. I'm like, you won't feel that. You won't even <laughs> feel from one to two. You yeah. feel from one to three or four maybe. But it, it would come down to that, and you just like, you know, hang up the phone like, my Lord, you know, mm -hmm. like, what is going on here? But that was fun, and that was a, that was a big, 
big deal uh, for Cane Creek. And um, you learned a lot about uh, bicycle manufacturers as well. You know, you see some stuff and it's like, eh, that's not going to work well with this shock or, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just a interesting back room thing that you get being on that side of it. And then, yeah, for sure. You know, coming out just for that brief moment, just working for Fox was pretty fun too. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm here over at this building. I'm going to peek over the fence of that building and find out how this yeah. works. You know, it's strange going from a, a kind of a small fish yeah. company to a big fish company and, and what a, what a huge difference, uh, that representation means in the, in the yeah. world of getting things done. Yeah. It's, um, probably the best analogy and I'm sure you've heard it or you've said it. We've all kind of, it's like, you know, here's the nice little ski boat that we can turn around. And then here's like the battleship that we've got to turn around, Mm -hmm. you know, and those big companies are battleships times 10, you know, you can't take them off course as easily. Yeah. You get that right. No, it makes, it makes it interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So you said you opened Fats in 89? I'm pretty sure it could be end of 88, you know, right there. I've got, there's some pictures somewhere around here. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I have two questions about that. One would be, what was the local community like at the time? Mm. Is the first question. The second would be, was there uh, any mountain bike tourism happening at that point in time yet? Or about when did that come into play? Mm. So tourism, there was none like that. Not specific. It would be happy accident. Somebody showed up and, and I nobody was even renting bikes, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think w- near the end, we rented, some, we started renting the ProFlex bikes out um, at Fats uh, before I sold it. Um, and it went okay, but nothing like what goes on now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Overall, the community, jeez, uh, I mean, this is hilarious. So there were probably, I'm going to say less than 30 cars that had roof racks on them. Mm-hmm. You know, now a lot of, there are a lot of, not a ton, but there are probably more roadies than mountain bikers at the time. And you could, you knew who everybody was, you know, you'd be like, oh, that's so-and-so over at McDonald's or Waffle House or, <laughs> you know, and the I had this funny thing happen where my my dentist I had to go to him at like four in the afternoon, and uh, I was riding and it was Bent Creek in one morning, and just happened to be riding on a trail that was damp enough to where I could see tire marks and you ninety nine percent you said you know it was like ground controls, which Specialized made. There's only one pattern, one shape back then. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, you know, the Farmer Johns, you know, the Tioga things. Umagumas. Yeah. And then there were, like, Trex stock tire, which was whatever. And then you had a Fisher Fat Trex, which was probably the most uh, widest, you know, made sense tire for volume and this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, we just got those Fat tracks in, and we just sold a pair. That's John. <laughs> so I go back to my dentist and I'm like, John, are you in Bent Creek and did you take this trail? Yeah, how'd you know? I said, Yeah, I saw your tires. I mean, that's how small it was. That's amazing. You know? And it it, it just there weren't, you know, South Carolina started kind of coming up and invading. Um, but that was like ninety mm, something. Mm-hmm. You know, more of them coming up and doing rides. Uh the bulk of the rides was like in the, in the very early days. So I get here in 86 and that was just Liberty for the, you know, and there's pro bikes and they had some, but Liberty was a uh, uh, Blue Ridge bicycle club, the Asheville bicycle racing club. And there would be people in there that mountain biked and we go all meet up wherever, you know, you go to Pisgah and park in parking lot and there'd be about 20 of us, but it was all walks and sizes and skills. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like three of us that were, you know, turds that hammered and, you know, waited on people, you know, like, oh, we're too cool. We're going fast, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of crap. And then you had, uh, you know, couples and all this stuff. We have ages up to, you know, 50s then or late 40s. And 
it was like a neat little community. Everybody just rode along. Um, these are the same people that did the trail maintenance, you know. That's a whole crazy segment. I mean, if you want to get into that, um, <laughs> how that start, you know. I mean, the bikes, it's all this, you know, they're still bull moose handlebar bikes. You know, mm -hmm. there's still people riding those. And another all, you know, that's what they had. That's what they got. That's what you could purchase. And then, you, you know, you had your stock specialized rock hoppers and your whatnots um and then it gets you know trek's got their stuff and, and then they were like we had our fat chances and there were some fishers um and some richies you know not many and it's all you know 130 millimeter stem 100 big stems rigid um fully rigid so for me people ask like what era it's like i call it the bs days before suspension period that's the bs days and uh we rode all the stuff that everybody's riding now and we rode a lot a lot of really interesting stuff that um there were two guys one was a land surveyor uh, which is wes dixon's senior wes's father mm -hmm. he and i rode all the time and ed Irwin, whose parents i mean they grew up in bethel and he knew every back road weirdo and he used to talk about his parents take these little tote goat motor motorcycle mini bike things. Mm -hmm. And so he knew all these weird trails, hunting trails and things like this. Um, and so we were riding stuff that you know, sometimes it was like, all right, here we go. Oh, man, we're going to have to hike for this long. And I mean, hike <laughs> mm -hmm. with these heavy bikes, you know, um, that was that was entertaining. But. The trail use, you know, it was very minimal. Um, you know, you ran into uh, the thing that early, I'm say, yeah, early in the 80s, even like 88, 80, not early, but 87, 88, 89, coming into the 90s, the trails were getting shut down out west, Sierra Club. Mm -hmm. They were going nuts. Ducks Unlimited, Sierra Club. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were getting pretty, and so it hit, it hit here. And there was a very brief instant where Bent Creek was like, it, it was going to get shut down. You know, it's an uh, experimental force, you know, demonstration experimental force. Um, and you take trails out there. We had horses in Bent Creek as much as you have horses, you know, in DuPont. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're dealing with that, which is not bad. You just have to be respectful. But there are also motorcycles in Bent Creek um, in the early days. And so you would have uh, motos, you'd hear them coming over the ridge, and then you wouldn't hear them at all. What they'd do is they'd put the bike in neutral and coast down the trail, like, you know, uh, one of the connector trails that's now a connector trail. They were making it. You right, know? yeah. Um, so, you know, you'd be climbing, you know, out of breath, dying, and here comes this big green Kawasaki coasting down the trail. <laughs> and it's like, uphill has a right away, not with that thing. You know, yeah. it's not happening. Um, so, you know, you, that, that was a regular thing. That was, that was interesting. Um, a lot of drug traffic out in those areas, mm -hmm. especially when it lined up against the parkway. A lot of crazy things happening. And, like, if you take Bent Creek, what you come in on the Arboretum, the Arboretum Road, not the paved road into Bent Creek, the Rice Pinnacle. That was uh, dirt. Mm -hmm. And it was like a Jeep road. And that's how you got in most of the time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, you know, at dusk, everybody's like hauling out of there and, you know, cars are dodging each other and there's no room to, you know, it comes <laughs> oncoming traffic. It's pretty chaotic, really. Um, I think, I don't know. You want to keep rambling about? <laughs> well, no, I I mean that that's like perfectly lining me up for the next thing I was going to ask was at what point maybe in the AS era did that start to change? Because I've got a point in time in my mind when I think that happened, but I'd like to hear it from somebody who was here and, and invested in it because I was living in Charlotte at the time. Yeah, um, it. What I remember is seeing more guys. <clears throat> so you got front suspension. We, have, you know, you have a fork. We, they're very limited in anything in the rear. Um, and it, you started seeing more people coming from South Carolina and Georgia up, up to where we were. 
every now and then you catch a Florida car, mm-hmm. you know, but not nothing like now, my Lord, you know, I couldn't tell you, I can't tell you who's who or what's what, you know, I don't know any of it. I just, just keep to myself, and ride my bike. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. It's kind of around when um, Santa Cruz hit is in my mind, like when, People are starting to get volume selling Santa Cruz's around here, mm-hmm. you know, and that was Fats. They brought it in, and, and you just kind of see this uptick in full suspension. You know, bikes are supposedly better. You know, they they've got fork, shock, this kind of thing. Shifting's better, et cetera. And in that era, um, and I'm going to say that's in like '94, five, six, somewhere in there. It's starting to you know, you see tourism out of this, I guess, Mm -hmm. but not nothing like we see today, you know, by any means. And, um, we started to see things a little different back up. Bent Creek didn't have the trail names that it has now. And there was some guy that fell and he couldn't figure out how to get out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he started this whole thing of like, once the trails got named and then became maps, then you start to see things happen a little differently. And that's, that's coming around like 92 mm-hmm. um, for me anyway, um, maybe 94, because um, I went to Cane Creek at 97. Um, but yeah, you start to see that coming around, and there's, you know, and you may remember, but I mean, the full suspended game in those days was like, throw that on the wall and see if it sticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boomerang looking bikes that have no business having you know suspension on them and you know almost how do we differentiate our bikes to make them you know Mm -hmm. that's ours and um it even hit bmx that that was disgusting you know you had these y bike bmx things Mm -hmm. i was like that's not a bmx you know Mm -hmm. and they're just hideous looking you know and it's aluminum but it weighs more than a damn steel bike (laughs) (laughs) so and there's that that's just that was out of control but the, I think one of the biggest things is people, the younger crowd, and, you know, that it's, you don't realize that how valuable the trails are here. It's, you are completely pri- privileged and blessed to be able to ride this stuff. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just circle back to that we were, they were, talking about shutting down the trails, things are getting sketchy. And it was a group of the Blue Ridge Bike Club people, the Nixes, Claudia and Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, Forest Service was getting kind of hot on all, like, eh, this is not good. So um, Ed Irwin could speak to this 100%, but the we had to go to the Forest Service and be proactive. Like, look, we will clean up the hiking trails that we can't ride. And for the Sierra Clubbers and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like, oh, really? You know? And then we had to give a demonstration at the Forest Service, you know, at the headquarters in Pisgah, um, of here's a horse that goes through sand, here's a hiker, and here's a, a bike. And we made less impact, and they realized that. And I said, but, you know, then we can skid, and we do almost the same damage nothing did more than the horse hoof. Right. But mm-hmm. so they, they kind of dialed back a little bit and kind of like, well, these guys are eager to be proactive and that really set up what we have now, mm-hmm. you know, and we were, you know, Wes Dixon's father was like forever building trail, you know, helping do trails long after I quit doing it. Um, but you would have, uh, where we could clean up like a hiking trail that's primarily the retirees were using, they get a, a mile done. We would get all the deadfall for three, four miles. You right. Know? So we became pretty valuable and we weren't like, you know, we're only cleaning up ours, you know, we we're offering to do whatever we could. And we became really good friends with the, the forest service. And you go back to those days, we were getting calls. So when I first came here, I worked at Liberty and we were getting calls at Liberty from other shops throughout the U.S. and people going, how did you keep your trails open? Because this is starting to happen everywhere. Right, West was. Coast, mm-hmm. you know, Michigan, weird stuff, you know. 
And they're, what'd you do? What'd you do? And it's like, we just went after it, you know? And it's basically what sets up what is today. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the one who started that, but these you know, Ed Irwins and the West Dixons and Mike and Claudia Nix and there's a ton of people, you know, Sam White was in there and Art Schuster. I don't know if you know Art. Mm-hmm. Art's a, For sure. you know, first guy I rode with when I got here, you know, he's awesome dude. Um, you know, that, that's really one of the biggest things that, you know, I see now there's so much illegal trail, you know, poach trail, mm-hmm. you know, hang on to your hat, you know, cause you could lose it. You know? Yeah. It does seem like there's new stuff popping up a lot. And one thing too, that, that kind of strikes me about what you just said is how, you know, it used to be the mountain bikers were kind of the, you know, the, outlaws so to speak were the yeah the, the the less cared for genre or trail user uh but now you have like old fort that's kind of looking at you know how the trails in brevard have really helped their economy in their town there and they're kind of benchmarking that and using that mm-hmm. as a place to up their game there and 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 cater to that and uh it's just interesting how the tides have turned with that too yeah, that's, I mean, the whole thing, I sit back and look at it, and I'm like, you know, for whatever it's worth, I, I was ahead of the time, but I w- the time wasn't ready for me to be ahead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's, it was really interesting. My wife and I talk about it, you know, I mean, God bless her, because her salary carried me for a long time until we started <laughs> making money. <laughs> um. I just gave her really nice bikes. Here, honey, here's another really cool bike. Um, but yeah, directly old for that's a, that's just wild. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see these mountain bike parks, these people putting this stuff up, you know, and you got what is it, the riveter thing, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if I'll pay to ride dirt, but we'll see. But you know, that type of stuff's it, amazing. It, it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, I would, you know, we, we, we come from a BMX era of the, you know, dig to ride. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 40. I'm not going to state your age, but <laughs> I, I ain't digging no more, brother. <laughs> 58. I'm, I'm happy to pay entry fee to not have to fix my uh, cases anymore. There so. you go. Well, and speaking of entry fee, I wouldn't be opposed to having a, a fee to go ride something in Pisgah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Christ, you got to pay money to go on a beach. Yeah. You know, um, parking pass or something. Something. Maybe. I mean, yeah, if, as long as we can direct the money into something healthy that, you know, that helps everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and horses and whatever, you know, everybody all in one. Because it's, uh, I don't know, it's a real privilege to have. I mean, you talk about guys in other states and they're, you know, it's two hours to get somewhere. And, I know. You yeah. know. I, mean, I, I grew up in Charlotte. I moved here because I was tired of driving two and a half hours to go ride somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not that the, trail, the trails in Charlotte are actually really fun and abundant and has an awesome trail advocacy club with the Tar Heel Trailblazers uh, and a club that has their act together at that mm-hmm. and has some longevity. But, you know, you, you want to get out for more than, you know, your seven-mile municipal loop every once in a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was the place for me to do it. Well, that's how you know when i left bmx it was got into mountain bikes and this was the it was either here or colorado we had relatives in colorado and mm-hmm. rel- my, a lot of my dad's a bunch of my dad's side my cousins are all wrightsville beach mm-hmm. type stuff but my wife used to give guided tours up at nanahala in the 70s mm-hmm. you know like late 70s early 80s and uh she's like you're gonna love this place you know and that's like all right i got here yeah it was cool. I mean, it was back then. You, you had a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Waffle House. There's no Taco Bell, folks. Not that that's great, but there wasn't one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny that people used to call Asheville the Paris of the South. Yeah. And I mean, I've been coming here since I was a child and have family from down the hill in Rutherford County and everything. And I can tell you, there ain't much Paris about this place. <laughs> Somehow people outside the area got that opinion, and I mean, I like it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in favor of it, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's always interesting. It's beautiful. Just, you know, respect the beauty and respect it, you know, what you got. And, mm-hmm. You know, the, the trail building and, and the legal trail building is, is good. You know, people 
uh, often get upset that it might be a sidewalk through the forest, so to speak. But the amount of volume of wheels on these trails, there's no, no way to maintain a healthy thing for the forest. You know, you're going to have to make these things be a certain shape and size in order to direct water and have things like, you know, rocks in the places where it's going to be muddy, et cetera. Because I mean, some of the little bench cut things, well, the first, (laughs) the first bench cut trail in the forest was done in Bent Creek. And that was, no, this is, um, and it, it's, you talk to the guys that are near my age or 10, 15 years younger, and they call it my trail. They call it Malcolm's trail. I was going to get to that later on. But yeah. yeah. If you want to get to that later, we will. It's pretty funny how that went down. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the first one. So how did that come about since we're talking about it? Kind of a happy accident. And it's really Wes Dixon's father who found it, not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to set the record straight right there. Um, I found another trail that got developed in there, but didn't need to get cut, which is like Upper Side Hill, you know, 479. Mm -hmm. That trail used to be this awesome rocky chute way back when to get after you went up the wall. And uh, we'd use that to try and clean. It was a nasty trail back then. Mm -hmm. And now it's got, you know, switchbacks, which is fine. It needs to have it for what it is. But it's still pretty narrow up there and kind Mm -hmm. of fun. It's one of my favorites in Bent Creek. Yeah, but the, what is it, Hickory Top up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the trail that comes off of that, that winds up at the bottom of where Greens Lick area is, you know, at the bottom and all. Um, Wes found it, and he, he studied it on a map. He's like, there's some, full, you know, fall here that we could do something with. I remember we went to, uh, <clears throat> I don't forget her last name, but I think it was Sue, Forest Ranger. And she's like, yeah, and kind of got into it. And then all of a sudden, we're, it's on. So, you know, we got our Maddoxes, and here we go. We built it in one day. Um, and it was I, myself, my wife, Art Schuster, Wes Dixon. Ed probably was there, Erwin. Um, I think Sam White might have been there. And there we go, building it, you know, knocking it out, cutting the bench in. And uh, that became that trail. You know, and somewhere along the way, somebody's, oh, that's Malcolm's Trail. You know, I don't, it's not, <laughs> but it, you know, and other people refer to it as a goat trail or whatever. I don't know mm-hmm. what they call it now, you know, but that was the first trail that w- was allowed, you know, that you could put tools on and mm-hmm. make. And it was the last trail for a very long time. They weren't, I don't think it went all the way up the chain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this has got a stamp of approval. I don't think it's still on a map yet, officially. Yeah. yeah and it's, I mean, if you want to see what erosion looks like on a small, skinny trail, that's a real good example. Mm-hmm. You know, I still ride it. It's kind of... I do, too. I look at it, and I just laugh. I'm like, ah. I always forget to be in the right gear after you take that left-hand turn over the rock pile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I still, you know, I still screwed that up plenty uh-huh. of times, you know. I mean, there's like, you got to go wide in that one corner before you get to the rock pile, you know, mm-hmm. it's so tight. You know, that's... But, okay, so we're cutting that, but we're also riding that on rigid you know bs day bikes yeah you know before suspension so that's that was like wow this is a cool trail for you know this mm-hmm. bike so and that takes me perfectly into the thing that i kind of wanted to wrap it up with was uh would just be bike technology you know what pros cons I always hear you know would you rather have a bike with no suspension or a bike with a dropper post and I know what my answer is, but, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to consider when, when talking about that too. Yeah. Cause you could have suspension and it'd be bad. <laughs> yes, sir. I rode a lot of that. So, you know, if you go back to where the amps were made, mm-hmm. you know, and that Boulder bike, oh, I was a terrible bike. Um, you know, early Marzocchi fork and with the holes drilled in the leg, mm-hmm. you know, adjusters, and I rode, well, I rode, I rode a beam bike for Christ's sake, you know, all sop beam thing. I rode a Gervin, you know, that I constantly kept riding full suspension just for it to be looked at, you know, to get hype going. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> you learn how to ride terrible things, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, you got to move your seat forward so you don't implement any pedal bomb <laughs> the best you can. <laughs> it may not be the ideal place. And, you know, fast forward to today's stuff, 
I think most of it pedals quite well. I mean, there's not any designs that are, you know, like, oh, God, you can't pedal that, you know. The people our size are not very sensitive to anti-squat. So, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. Um, so I, you know, I will probably, I have a hardtail with a front fork, you know, suspension fork, but I ride my full suspension bike no matter what. And I, I think what's interesting, even if the trail's fairly tame, and this comes from BMX, you you learn to get get speed off just about anything. Mm-hmm. And I exploit the suspension all the time. You know, it's my, I love it. it, it it's like twisting a throttle, you know? Yeah, Like, absolutely. gives you a little grin. You're like, mm-hmm. ha-ha, that was cool, yep. you know? And it, you know, it could be the dumbest thing. It could be a four-inch root that you just exploited and made Backs a out of a rock, you pumped it, and you gained yeah. it two miles per hour. It's awesome. Something, or, you know, you hit a turn right, and the thing loads, and, you know, mm-hmm. it just, and it springs out, or you can prematurely do this to it and make it do something that's kind of off kilter but you want it to do that because you want to feel it and it's fun you mm-hmm. know um in a dropper post yeah that's a game changer um i i'm i use one sometimes and sometimes i don't i got so used to riding bikes that were without them over the years i also sit in a different position than a lot of people kind of like i'm more forward Mm-hmm. in the air and things you know um yeah and there's terrain that's super nasty steep that you want something to get down there um the early days of the dropper stuff i didn't like they were so heavy that as soon as i put them, i could feel it was like a pendulum on my bike you know i could feel the weight left right left right right and yeah. if you spend time on a, a long time on a bike you know the dumb changes that you know mm-hmm. oh, these grips are too fat you know it's like, yeah you know it's people like oh you're a sissy you know it's like no nah, <laughs> grips are too fat. my but, hands are shaped funny yeah, at the same time, you know, you take racers or sponsored guys, it's like, you know, a good rider will adapt. That's that. You know, get over it and go, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, I, for me, you just give me, I don't need a lot of travel. You know, like 140 would be the most I'd run up front. I don't care, you know. I mean, again, I'm not, I won't go as fast as a 20-year-old, you know. There are some occasions, if it's, slightly buffed out i'm right there with them because it's hilarious yeah. it's like a bmx track to me you know but i just know limits okay it's like all right put the brakes on here yeah you know? i mean it's this bike isn't going to go through there and save me you know it's well they say the best bike's the one you're riding yeah exactly and once you get to know your no matter what bike you have once you get to know your bike's quirks and, yeah. and how it you know is going to respond to things that's that's the best thing you can do to me, that's the most fun, and that's where the double barrel came in for me was learning to tune and set up and all this stuff, and I could get to a happy base setting real quickly mm-hmm. and really enjoy it and exploit it, you know, and that was a pretty cool, you know, just gaining that knowledge over the years of tweaking things. and For sure. You know, oh, I run this spring rate because uh, it's not the right sag, but get ready because it's going to mm-hmm. do this on the coil, you know. Um yeah, and, and yeah, tires are a little picky, you know. I can run a lot of different tire. I'm sure you can too, but there's, a, you know, you, everybody's kind of got, you know, there's people that are just solid maxes. That's the end of the world. But, yeah. you know, there's, I always told riders that I worked with or coached or what, get used to certain things that in case you have a problem and you're out in the middle wherever and you can't go buy one mm-hmm. that you're used to, you know, you're going to be a better rider if you can figure it out. You know? Yeah, ten four. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm weird with tires. I know a lot of people are are, are pretty picky about it. I I know things that I look for in a tire, but um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I being a lightweight person myself, I I can't ride a DH casing tire. It's just too like I don't have any compliance. It doesn't wrap over. It's like riding for me. That would be the same as riding an inner tube that was solid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put, it has that same effect. Put a thorn-proof tube in there and you see how yeah. that feels. I, yeah. I, I need a tire that's you know compliant, can wrap around. And for me, tire inserts have been a huge, awesome. Uh, so you like those. For for me for yeah. for the rear I don't I, I've cool. rarely ever had trouble in the front but yeah it's so neat for me to be able to keep you know like an XO plus style casing something that's mm-hmm. not overkill not heavy duty um, I, I mean you know, the, the worst thing I ever did was you know rip knobs off and then get a leak from that but yeah, I I don't pinch things that much because mm-hmm. I mean I'm 135 pounds yeah yeah but uh, I, I need I need to I can't run low pressures 
without having a compliant sidewall also. There's synergy in having both of those mm -hmm. for me. There's, I, I, I know it's not that way for everybody, but that's, that's my well, experience. Well, maybe they have it. They just don't know it. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's what you like and what you can get away with, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, some, a lot of mountain biking, especially pointing it down, what can you get away with? Dude, you know? I've, I've hiked out of a bunch of trails from riding dumb tires. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I know how I like them to feel, so I don't learn that lesson. Yeah. It's just the yeah. way I am. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No, I, the, the components today are awesome. I mean, amazing. I, it's, a, it's a shame it's getting so expensive. You know, that's, that's crazy. You know, you're seeing people can't afford. Supply and demand now. Yeah. Well, now it's, yeah, you take these, what, two years out, and I would definitely put those on a shelf somewhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, There's certain components that I know for a fact are uh, 900 days out for the OEM to buy them. To get them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's scary. Well, I just saw where Shimano shut down. Yeah, yeah. that's part of it. You know, Malaysia, a lot of the stuff that's made in those outlying Asian countries are, yeah. you know, the world's not fun right now, but yeah, we'll, they're all trying. We'll get back to something, you know, in the meantime, if you ride what you got, you know, mm -hmm. run what you brung, as they call it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, live with it. I mean, yeah, I want a new bike right now, but it's not going to, yeah, I'm going to wait till. You know, yeah whenever you know i'm not gonna die because i don't have it so. yeah same same here i got one on the way but i'm not getting rid of the current one until that one is in my hands yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well cool i really appreciate you doing this yeah. um is there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, got any advice for the kids <laughs> they give me advice you know <laughs> i will say the riding with the younger crowd the kids at when i was at cane creek and you know fox and all it riding behind them and you know they're starting to leave me on a section and, and i just laugh i love it it's yeah. like damn you know at one point i had speed on these older bikes that you know wasn't supposed to be there and uh, just watching these kids do it and it's like it's like anything it's progressing you know mm -hmm. it's just massive you know to watch like oh my god he's going oh he did what <laughs> yeah. and he landed you know and it's like, nah, I'm just going to keep pumping the trail here. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah, some of those Cane Creek boys are skilled. That's a fact. Well, you think back to when you were a kid in the neighborhood and you boosted the curb jumps, you know, and mm -hmm. you could you could almost get up as high as a mailbox, right? Yeah. You know, you'd blast it. And so now you take it up, these kids on the mountain bike and it's some little roller and all of a sudden I got a kid grazing his rear wheel in the tree limbs, you know? Yeah. And it literally is about five feet higher, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, holy, this is cool. Yeah. You know? Watching kids do it. I remember Herndon doing something one day years back. I was like, damn, what was that? You know, uh -huh. bunny hop some huge log, you know, loaded the suspension and, I mean, yeah, I used to bunny hop logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this thing was four feet off the ground. <laughs> I'm going to say no and get off my bike here. That's awesome. But yeah. Are I'm, you on social media anywhere where people can find you? Not really. Um, you don't have to give it up if you don't want to. <laughs> no. Once in a while, if you want to look at um, it's my buddy who's a drummer for Tracy Lawrence, Tom Hurst. Awesome guy. Was on my BMX team when, I was, when he was a little kid. He has a thing called Tom's Trails, mm -hmm. and it's with Z's, T-O-M-Z-T-R-A-I-L-Z. Um, I'll sometimes show up. I built him a downhill kind of oversized old-school BMX track right on in Tennessee, and uh, sometimes I'll be on there, and he'll shout out to me back and forth, and we'll send, you know, hey, you remember in the 80s when you did this? Or here's the picture. <laughs> you know? Nice. BMX. Old BMX stuff when I was pro and he was an amateur on the team. But that's about the only place I show up, you know. Cool. I stay kind of hidden. Yeah, know? I understand. I, I, I'm bad at social media myself. <laughs> I'm not I'm not hidden. I'm just absent. <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably my that's probably my problem. I'm absent. But uh, yeah, it's uh, all good, man. It was this is cool, I guess. I hope it turns out all right for you guys. Yeah. I have no idea. No, it'll be great. Dude, it is great to hear, you know, how things have progressed over the years and honestly how good we have it. We do need a good humble check every now and then to kind of remind us. 
and also to appreciate this amazing area we have to ride. You know, it's very key to our enjoyment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we don't have to necessarily go down the rabbit hole of, you know, why everything exists the way it does here. But it, it's good to know a little bit about the history and how things came about around here and, you know, what made Pisgah turn into Pisgah. Because, you know, for for all intents and purposes, this could have been the uh, off-road mountain boarding mecca instead of uh, the mountain bike mecca of the southeast that it's become. So, you know, the key people that were here and made it happen, you know, we, we definitely should pay respect to the work they put in and, you know, the scene they've created for us. Totally agree with you, dude. So uh, for weather this week, we are kind of in legit summer storm season now. If, if you needed to bank on getting a ride in, I would suggest doing it in the morning or you're going to have to take a gamble on getting splashed on by an afternoon thunder boomer. Yep, there's a chance of isolated thunderstorms every day, but the temperatures are hovering around the low 60s to high 80s, so it sounds like a good time for morning rides to me, but I'll have to gamble with after work rides for the time being. Dude, good luck on that. Well, guys, that's a wrap on this week's episode, and as always, you can find us on social media. Just search Pisgah Podcast. And we've still got shirts for sale with five bucks going to Pisgah Area Sorba. Just hit up pisgahpodcast.bigcartel.com. And millennials, if you have no clue what amp suspension, ProFlex, or a beam bike is, it's okay. You can at least subscribe and uh, share this episode with your boomer uncle who used to kind of ride a mountain bike back in the 90s. Yeah, I think that guy's still camping off of uh, 5,000. Yeah, yeah.